I have a question for you that is a Bible trivia question that will require your participation. So the only way to do that, well, two ways. If you're here in the house, shout out the answer. But you're going to have to think about this one. It is a challenge. For those of you who are online with us, especially those who are on Facebook Live, you can just put it right there. Just type in your answers, and let's see who gets, catches this first. You ready? Okay. What kind of person is the most despised and hated in all the New Testament? <laughs> you were at first service. Okay. Did you hear what she said? Good, because I want somebody to get it wrong so I feel big. <laughs> Who's, who is, because <laughs> she's right, but <laughs> who is, uh, Pastor Pat used to, she used to take us through the ringer, uh, like we're guessing. Go ahead, shout them out again. Online, Facebook Live, shoot, shoot us a note. Sorry? Herod, yeah, Herod the Great. Herod, not so great. Herod the Evil. I would argue very evil, but not the worst. Who else? The laborers. The okay, keep going. The most hated. It's a kind of person. It's a kind of... Yeah, there we go. Probably throughout the New Testament, the most despised and hated person in the New Testament during Jesus' time, during the time of the, of the start of the church, during the Roman Empire, the most hated person was, I would argue, the tax collector. The worst of the worst. You know how you measure that? Is how far they are from God. I want to share with you a short video from The Chosen, the series. This is where Jesus is calling Matthew, who was a tax collector, to follow him. Now, you're going to notice here, it's in the public setting. You're going to notice that he's calling him, and Matthew's hiding inside the tax collector booth under Roman guard, and you can feel how much they're hated. Not only by the public, but look at how much even Jesus' disciples do not like the fact that he's talking to a tax collector. Watch this with me. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes.
You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So as you're familiar with Matthew's story, he, he turns from his old life, which the word we would use today is repents. And he becomes one of Jesus' closest 12 friends. Not only that, Matthew goes within three years and becomes one of the first people that plants the Christian church. I know you might know him because he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. I'd like us to clear our minds for a second. I want you to come 2,000 years ahead to today and I want you to think of a person in your circle of life who, would you, who you would give tax collector status. I would like all of us to think of that one person in our sphere of life who's far from God. Maybe they're despised, maybe they're hated, maybe they're just simply lost. Think of somebody that you know nobody's gonna reach them. And we all do this. I do this. It's like, I don't know if anybody can reach that person. And maybe we don't want to reach them. Take a moment and think of them. For those of you online, I want you to join me with this. This might be that bitter old neighbor that you've never been able to adjust to. This might be a boss who laid you off for their own pursuit of greed. It might be somebody you know that's so far lost in addiction and they're just raging at the world. They're just so far from God. You got that person in your mind? Now I want you to write them down. Write them around this worship guide. Write their name down. Better yet, write it on your heart. Write it on your heart. And I want to mention this, that maybe the person you're thinking of is not actually somebody else, but it's actually you. That You've never been this far from God in your life. And you feel like you're at a place that's so dark that nobody can reach you. I bet there's somebody in this room or online with us that's there. And if that's true, write your name there. It's okay. Write down that name, even if it's yours. because I want to tell you nobody is too far from God when they set their eyes on Jesus. So welcome everybody. Fun start, right? Let's just go deep and hard right away. I want to welcome everybody to our guests. I see a lot of new faces. It's that time of year. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. Lene talked about our worship guide. Uh, we're going to go into God's word, the Bible together. We're going to talk about this issue of repentance. There's these sermon outline notes that you'll see popping up ahead. And for those online, this is linked not only to our website, but to our Facebook live channel. You can, you can jump right in there to our guests. 
This connect with us card is really important. We assume you're here because you're looking for a church family and searching around town and there's a lot, Jesus' church is huge in this town and there's many good churches. We want you to be right where God wants you. But if you would fill that card out with like a name and just an email address so we can connect with you just to say we want to help you on that journey. Even, ladies and gentlemen, that journey is not here. We want everybody to come here, but we want you to be exactly where God wants you. So fill that out, and we, we can drop that off in a box here or go out to our welcome center, but and those online, please let us know you're with us so we can connect with you and help you in that journey. One thing on here, just one announcement I want to catch before we jump in deeper into the sermon. These new service times are really important. You, there's a big email that went out that I wrote that talks about our service times are going to change. Uh, the worship in the park is going to be on August 29th. That will start all one service together, just one service a day at 1030. From that day on, our second service will always be at 1030. It's at 1045. You all showed up really well on time. If you show up on time, you're going to miss the whole worship set next after that second Sunday as we go um, into September. So starting September 5th, uh, our service times are 9 and 10.30. We're shrinking them down uh, a little closer together to better facilitate our families and people moving from one section to the other. And so please keep, we'll be talking about that the next three weeks so we don't miss out. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament, chapter 19. That's where our story is today. The Gospel of Luke, it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. And I'm going to be reading now the New Living Translation. We'll have it up here overhead. And let me recap while you're turning there. We're, we're in a series about repentance. So it's called, it's a week one we talked about, well, what is repentance? A lot of people when they hear the word repentance, it's not a warm, fuzzy word. Well, we think it's a beautiful word. It's God's grace. It's his active gift, a grace for all of us. But if I could summarize really what repentance is, is it's simply this. It's changing of the mind. It's hating sin and loving Jesus. That's an easy way. But we said we defined it in week one, but we, we started the series called Stop, Drop, and Roll because we all learned as kids when we're on fire, you stop, drop, and roll. So week one, or week two, last week, we talked about stop. So when it comes to repentance, what does stop mean? Well, stop means to be honest, that I have a sinful life. or there, There's these things that move me away from God in relationship. There's these things that move me away from others in relationship in a sinful life. And stop is how do I stop that cycle of sin or how do I stop that weight of that one sin in my life that so knocked me down? And how do I acknowledge the damage it's done? And then how do I confess? How do I lean to God and say, hey, I'm sorry. And we were in David's Psalm 32, and we watched how when he confessed, God poured his love out on him. And that stopped. So today we're at drop. So once I stop, once I, I acknowledge that sin, I'm honest with it and I confess it and God pours his love and grace and sets me up for this drop is how do I change my posture and my direction is what we're going to talk about today. Today is beat up on tax collector day because I want to talk about another. Now if you're actually a truly a tax collector, this, this isn't about you. <laughs> Get myself out of trouble here. But I want to talk about another tax collector in the Bible who is a kingpin of all tax collectors. He makes Matthew look like a choir boy, I think. The most hated man in the area of Jericho. A man that was very far from God. And so we're going to jump into Luke 19, starting verse 1 together. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray together for, for God's word to really settle into our soul. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for uh, this story that you have scripted through the Holy Spirit in this author's life to change our lives. It may be 2,000 years old, but it still is spot on today. So as we read your word, Father, let it through your Holy Spirit, let it shape us. And even if it hurts, 
but let us get to the life of freedom and joy that you've called us to. So let's take your word, Holy Spirit, and let's just give our hearts to you that are moldable at this time. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. All right, here we go. Luke 19, starting in verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree that was beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name, Zacchaeus! Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people there were displeased. He is gone. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. We'll stop there. So why are tax collectors so bad in the New Testament? Well, tax collectors were Jews. They were actually national people. They were home people, but they worked for Rome. Rome ruled the whole empire 2,000 years ago. Most of the world, they, they ruled it by military might. They would conquer your nation and they would impose their taxes. If you were a province or you were a nation under Rome, if you paid taxes and just weren't upstarty, they left you alone. But if you didn't pay your taxes or if you were upstart, they would crush you with military might. Tax collectors were Jewish people, so it's like so much betrayal here. They, they would collect for Rome to keep everybody in peace, but they would always collect more than what was required, for that is how they subsidized their own life. And tax collectors notoriously were very rich because they got rich off others. If you couldn't pay your taxes, they had no qualms about contacting the Roman army and taking your land and your assets. The interesting thing about tax collectors, Jesus talked about them a lot. When he gave, you know, he talked a lot about don't behave like the tax collectors do, or he referenced them a lot, but he also hung out with them a lot. Interesting dichotomy. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So to give you a picture, in Israel during that time, there were three major tax collection points. Capernaum, way to the north, around the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, and then way down south in Jericho. This is where Zacchaeus is. He's the chief tax collector, so that means he has a lot of little tax collectors running around him. He is the kingpin of the tax cartel. He runs the whole region. So he's very rich because he gets his cut what everybody else does. You don't get to be chief unless you're really good at what you do. Zacchaeus was the chief oppressor of the people in that region. What's interesting about Zacchaeus and how rich he was, he was famously rich, is that he had everything and nothing at the very same time. I think it's easy to understand that Zacchaeus' life was very unsatisfying at this moment that's gonna happen. Thought he had everything but he knew he had nothing at the same time. It describes Zacchaeus as short. 
So just like you saw in this clip about Matthew, uh, the tax collectors are fairly safe inside their barred, uh, protected area, but when you're out in the public, you're, on, you're in our zone. And so Jesus comes into town. Zacchaeus wants to go see him. We don't know why. Maybe he knew, maybe he knew Matthew, Levi. Because tax collectors only had one friend. I thought about this. Referees, my referee, we only had one friend, other referees. <laughs> I get this. But we don't know why, but he knows something's big about this guy. So I imagine, and this is just my imagination, when Zacchaeus approaches the public crowd around Jesus, they blocked him out. He's on their turf. And they aren't going to let him anywhere near Jesus. So what does he do? He runs ahead. He gets ahead over the crowd's head and he climbs up in a sycamore fig tree. There's two things about a tree. You get a great vantage point. But as we were kids, we would climb up in a tree to do what? To hide. It's hard to see in a tree. And that was maybe a safe place for Zacchaeus. So imagine Zacchaeus' reaction when Jesus stops under the tree, looks up, and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus was no longer invisible. It's interesting what Jesus said next. He did not say, I have to come to your house today. He said, I must. I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus says, okay. And here we are in verse six, and I will tell you amongst that crowd, just like you saw in this video, very similar setting, that there was only two people there's only two people in verse six that had joy in this moment, Jesus and Zacchaeus, because everybody else was really unhappy with both. They're really unhappy with Jesus that he would go and invite into a notorious sinner's house. Even his own disciples. Only two people had joy, Zacchaeus and Jesus at this moment. And Jesus would go into his home and Zacchaeus would never be the same. And we'll share the verse that says why. So let's take a look at our first sermon together. Repentance is as simple as dropping out of a tree. There's a drop word. What we don't know is we know is that Jesus said I must be with you in your home so they went to Zacchaeus' home that night we don't know what happened in the home but we know it changed Zacchaeus forever but I think there's something really important to look at here which you see quite often when Jesus goes into the home is he doesn't go into their home home he goes into this home he goes into the home of their heart and something changed there when Zacchaeus looked into the face of Jesus and spent time with him and turn towards him. I will remind you, it's the same Jesus in Matthew 19. It said, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing that's impossible with Jesus. No person is too far lost or gone. So repentance, we're going through this stop. We talked about that today. We're talking about drop. How do I drop out of the tree? How do I, what is drop about? So let's look at our second sermon note together. Drop, using the word drop, it's a heart posture of faith and direction. 
to drop. It's a heart posture of faith and direction. Zacchaeus dropped out of the tree. Jesus called him. He changed his posture and his direction. He turned. Well, you look at the Greek or the Hebrew, whatever the word repents, you'll see that they all have a little bit different meaning, but they mean the same thing in the whole picture. Some, one of the common meanings of the word repent is to turn. He drops out of the tree, turns to Jesus, changes his posture, changes his direction. He turns to Jesus. How do we turn to Jesus? We do this by faith. If you remember in our very first week, we showed the Indiana Jones movie where Indy's trying to reach for the Holy Grail while his dad's holding on to him from falling into the chasm. His dad's saving him, but he's holding on to what saves him, yet he won't stop reaching for what the world has to offer in that shiny gold cup. And we don't see until Indiana Jones turns to his father with both hands that he's saved. He has to let go. And we talked about in week one how hard it is for us as Christians. We want to do both. We want to hold on to Christ with one hand, but we want to go after that shiny cup with the other one all the time. And we struggle with what the world's offering and what he's offering. And faith is turning with both hands and grabbing on with both hands. Both hands, grabbing on to Jesus in faith means I trust him. I trust him so much that I'll invite him into this home. I trust him so much that I'll accept his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his love. I'll allow it to reset me and set me free. I'm so trusting that I'll learn to hate the sin and the things of this world that I pursued so hard and I will trust him and turn to him and love him more than that. So trusting that I drop, I literally drop to my knees. It's a posture of prayer. It's a posture of repentance. It's a posture of humility. When I stand before my Savior, I drop to my knees. I change my posture. I change direction. I choose at that point to trust him so much. I'll follow him. I'll follow him. And I'll quit following this garbage of the world. And when we do that, I trust him to change this from the inside out. So let's take a look at Zacchaeus, who's grabbing on with both hands, how much it changes him. Let's go back to verse 8 in Luke 19. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, before Jesus, and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated on people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to the home this day. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Look at Zacchaeus' changed heart. Let me, let me show you some economics of this decision. He said, I will give half of what I owe to the poor, half of my riches to the poor, and then, and then I will pay four times anybody I cheated. Four times what I cheated. If you're doing simple math, I don't know if Zacchaeus has anything left. Right? That's a lot of money. He cheated a lot of people. 
He's saying, I'm giving all. Let's look at our third sermon note together. True repentance, it always produces results. Real repentance always produces results. Salvation didn't come to the home of his heart because of him paying people. Salvation didn't come to Zacchaeus because he made restitution for what he did wrong. Salvation came to Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus and chose to follow him. That brought salvation. But generosity, you see a huge generous heart. When we've been set free, our hearts get so generous about our time, our talent, our treasure, our world around us. Generosity is not a means of repentance and redemption. It's evidence of the faith. It's hard for us to say we love Jesus and we trust him and we have sweet assurance of his forgiveness and glorious hope of heaven unless it makes a difference in our material world. Unless I let go of what this world's given me. And what you're seeing here is the good news. This good news makes this little man big in his heart. Repentance can change even the furthest from God and all they do is drop out a tree. Jesus compared a lot of evil behavior to those who are tax collectors. So it should shock you when I read this scripture out of Matthew 21, verse 31. Jesus just told a parable and they explained his meaning. He says, I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Now, that's a dichotomy. This was actually a warning to the religiously right. The people who go to church but have never really enjoyed today in today's arena be the people who go to church but never enjoy the gift of repentance because the minute we walk out of church our life really doesn't show any results so drop drop is a change of our heart it's a change of the posture and direction it's to turn but it's really important we understand about turning a lot of times we talk about turn it's like repent just turn to Jesus turn to Jesus you hear that a lot turn to Jesus that's important but it's also important we talk about what we're turning from so let's look at our next sermon note together to repent is to turn from who we were to whose we are and this bears repeating to repent is to turn from who we were to whose we are. The first part of repent is to turn away from what we have been, what we had become, what we had done, our old life, we call it. One that embraced sin and refused Christ, like dirty clothes. Every morning we woke up as the same clothes are getting discolored, our life is starting to smell, and we decide to turn from that. And we turn to whose we are we turn to now live for Christ. We tend, turn now to follow him with both hands and let go of everything else. No more reaching for the other stuff. Not trying to live in both kingdoms, 
but grabbing on with both hands in faith, trusting him because of whose we are. We're clothed new. We are Christian, which means we're like Christ. And we embrace Christ and we hate sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin. We just learn to hate it because of how it hurts our relationship with him and with others. I remember who I was. I remember those clothes and the smell and the, and the, and the life that wanted to hold on to both. And at 33 years old, in Lake Elbow, I was baptized. And when I was baptized not that long ago, I had no idea I'd be standing in front of you like this today. And God can do much bigger things through you than he's done through me. Baptism. Baptism is when I decided to get rid of the old clothes and the old self and go in the water and leave it there forever and come up out of the water new, clothed in Christ. Baptism, we have one two weeks from today when we worship in the park. I want to encourage you if you've never made that step. We have baptism classes next week after second service. Now you come to baptism class not because you have to be baptized, you come so we can really talk about how beautiful it is, what a gift of grace it is, and how you drive a stake in the ground that day to say, I'm no longer gonna reach for the world. I'm gonna follow Christ. Same path as Zacchaeus, Matthew, showed me. So I encourage you, I encourage you to write a note to us and drop in there saying, I'm really interested in this class, we wanna make sure we get you into it one of the biggest days of your life. Rising up new out of the water, rising up, turning to Jesus, a new life, a new direction, a repentant heart, following Jesus, no turning back. One way that we do this together, that we show how our lives are changed in Jesus is in communion. And so I'm gonna invite up the worship team up here. I'm gonna invite our servers up here to the tables, uh, the two down here and the one up here. I wanna share with you a scripture that's there in your guide. From 2 Corinthians chapter five, and I'll put up here on the wall for us all to read. It says either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who would receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. We can only be that new person because of what he did on the cross. And that's why we do communion together as one, as one body, as one group. Can I share that we all have probably a little Zacchaeus in us somewhere along the ride, somewhere along the road? Repentance is actually a lifestyle. It's how we roll. It's every day, but we're going to talk about that next week. I want to make sure we all drop today. 
and we all turn in the right direction. Communion is a time where we remember whose we are. At the communion table, we're one. This isn't an individual effort. This is a community coming together as one. We celebrate as a family. We're reminded that we're forgiven. We're reminded that we have eternal life all because of Jesus. He's worth turning to with both hands. Communion is open to all. If you're a guest with us today, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We welcome you to come up. We're all one big family in Christ. I'm going to tell you, if you've never made that decision to follow Christ and you are called to the table to want to join us, I'm never going to hold back who he draws to the table. But I'm going to ask, if you've never been baptized, if you've never committed your life to Christ, come to the table, share with us today, but write a note on that connect card and say, would you help me make this step? Because this is a very sacred moment. During this worship song, we'll remind you of Jesus' words to Zacchaeus. Come down. Come down the aisle. Ask, serve, you'll be served as you approach the table. Take the bread and a cup and go back and sit down. And wait to take it together in just a few moments. Let's take this time to remember whose we are together.
we are. We're at the table together, turn towards Jesus to remember that he gave us his very life so that we could have new life. Would you hold this bread up with me? In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to his closest friends. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. He said, take this in remembrance of me. Let's take that together. Would you hold the cup up with me? This cup symbolizes the blood of Christ given for us, shed for us, for forgiveness for our sins. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians 11, it says in the same way Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new agreement, the new covenant between God and his people. A covenant, Jesus said, that is confirmed with his blood, which is what this symbolizes. He said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink from it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take that together. Can we go to God together through Christ in prayer? Would you bow your heads with me? This is our offering time. Father, this is a time where we give back to you in some small way, which could be a big way for us, but some small way of how you've given so much to us. Father, for some of us in this room today, we need to turn to you through Christ. 
And maybe that first step is baptism today. I can't imagine a bigger offering, a bigger offering than our life, grabbing on with both hands. So Father, for those in this room that they don't shy away from that anymore, that they turn to you for the first time and grab on with both hands in faith. For others of us, Father, I pray that our offering is we've been holding on to one hand and we've been holding on to the world with the other that we let go of the world and we climb, just climb on and hold on tight to you. Father, another offering is the Wirtz family who shared with us today that they sacrifice in their lives to bring the good news. They are our church afoot all the way down in Ecuador and they've been there a long time and there's a lot of repentance going on because of work. we hold them up as an offering to you the short time they're with us as they go back. Bless them in a mighty way. So Father, we give our best offering to you, whether it's our time, our treasure, our talent at this moment. Or even our greatest gift is small compared to the gift we got through Christ. But Father, let us rise up as a church, strong, turned, and living this new life with great joy. And all God's people said, amen. There's another offering I wanna kinda make sure we still do. You notice there's a sermon note. Always leave one sermon note sometimes hanging. But let's look at this last sermon note together because it's part of our offering too. Your fifth sermon note there is nobody is too far. Nobody is too far lost from the grasp of Jesus. Remember that name you wrote down or wrote on your heart? I want you to believe this. Nobody's too far gone. From the grasp of Jesus, 